Oh, hey, hello again. Uh, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors. And if you're new, uh, welcome, a special welcome to you. I uh, hope you feel like this is a safe place to experience Jesus. That is our heart. Well, one of the things I get to do is work with our house church director. Her name is Tira Wakiyama, and Tira and I get to lead uh, and help coach our house church leaders. We have like 50, 60 house church leaders, and over the summer, we had a house church leader conference, like a leader gathering, uh, and the theme of the conference was living missionally in San Diego. So we did a number of things, but one of the things we did was a role-playing game. Let me explain how the game worked. Uh, imagine we all, 56 of us, work for a multinational company. So the company had employees from all different countries of the world, and we're all coming together for like a meet and greet. Now, what we did is we gave, there's like five kind of culture kind of uh, types that we gave um, to the different people, uh, describing like a, a cultural behavior that we want them to practice as they interact with each other. Um, and one of the one of the types was someone that's like loud and wants to shake your hand and wants to like touch you on the arm and wants to look you in the eye and is just very direct. Another one was someone that tended to be a little bit more quiet and reserved and would tend to not look you in the eye and didn't want to shake your hand and appreciated some distance from you. And then another uh, t- uh, kind of type was someone that just shared way too much information and would ask you about your finances and wanted to talk about all your family and all kind, you know, like, and, and so that was another one. There was five. Another one was someone that was more, like, reserved and didn't want to get too personal, and if they started talking about too many personal things, they actually wanted to leave the conversation. And so we let everyone just interact, and they didn't know the other personalities, and it was just so funny to watch uh, this cross-cultural experience. It was, it, it was meant to, it's designed to create dissonance and this feeling of the tension that we have, and you're like, why are you reacting that way to me when I try and touch your arm. Uh, and it, it, it really set up what it's like to be in a cross-cultural experience. Well, uh, the church in the book of Acts that we find ourselves today is hitting a new phase in the mission, uh, a cross-cultural experience. So far, we've seen the church in Jerusalem and Judea, Judea and Samaria, which is essentially like the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. But now we're crossing into the ends of the world, world into Gentile territory. And so now they need to interact with different ethnicities and cultures, and that means things need to change. Uh, in the past, the Jews separated themselves from the Gentiles, and so they didn't have to deal with cross-cultural relationships and different ethnicities. But God, because he is amazing, is doing something new in the life of the church. And when I was a college student at UCSD, I joined an organization called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and I was a student leader for two years, and then for seven years I joined staff. And early on, they taught me about, they, t- they brought up this idea called the multi-ethnic like, highway, the multi-ethnic freeway, and that for, for some students, for many of us, we were, had to on-ramp onto this idea, this umbrella term of multi-ethnicity. And they began to share words like privilege and racial reconciliation and ethnic identity and I'll be honest with you, it was, I, w- I started to get defensive, and I felt like, I don't know if I want to be a part of this. I had been in some, in like sociology classes and anthropology classes, and, and in, in many ways didn't feel comfortable having these conversations. And the staff and the leaders encouraged me to, to, to step back and to look at what the scriptures have to say. 
Look at what the Bible has to say about this. And it's been a 20-year journey for me. And one thing that I have learned is that this conversation really has little to do with politics. It has little to do with uh, social science or our cultural moment that we're in. This has so much more to do with what the Bible has to say and a, a, a theological and a biblical mandate that God is calling us to. Now, I understand that this, because of our cultural moment, this can feel so divisive. And if it comes across that way, it's my fault. <laughs> I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm going to try and lead us into this uh, humbly and truthfully, but when we get this right, Grace Church San Diego, people of God and those visiting, when we get this right, we will see our love for one another and our unity in the midst of diversity just hit a whole nother level if we can get this right. Now, um, the world is trying to figure this out with a divided world, and, and, and in my opinion, they're not doing a very good job. And man, if we can really get God's heart for this and begin to integrate it and put it into practice in our church, we will be a beacon of light and a powerful witness to a world of what God and the gospel can do. And if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. And I, you're gonna see that in the early church, the first church, and in our church and just the church, we have our issues. <laughs> we do. But Jesus is the way and he is correcting and calling us to to be in alignment with, with the kingdom of God. And so today, three quarters of our text is a repeat from last week. <laughs> so if you're here last week, you're gonna kind of be bored. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Josh preached an amazing sermon on Acts 10 and Cornelius, talking about racism and racial reconciliation and, and, um, and, and prejudice and these kinds of ideas. It's really powerful. What's different today? Well, last week, God was really dealing with Peter and his heart and his kind of superiority towards the Gentiles. And we see that he was changed. Now, Peter is going to the Christian circumcised uh, church leaders in Jerusalem. And he's, a, and he's gonna be advocating for the Gentiles, for their inclusion. And so the circumcised Christians, uh, the circumcised Christians in Jerusalem, they oppose Peter to his face. They come up to Peter and say, Peter, how can you go and eat in Cornelius' house? That is not cool. Uh, the food was unclean. The people are unclean and nasty. They are disgusting. Their food is disgusting. Peter, you cannot do that. Why did the Jews and the Gentiles, Gentiles are just everybody other than the Jews. <laughs> Every other people group and nation that's not Jewish is a Gentile. Why was this separation there? Well, part of it was uh, God-ordained. Leviticus 11 talks about the dietary restrictions and laws that, that, that created the Jews to be a separate people. And so you couldn't eat uh, animals with a broken hoof or like a split hoof. So guess what? Bacon's off the table. You couldn't eat shellfish. So guess what? Lobster's off the table. You couldn't eat meat with uh, blood on it. So guess what? Your medium rare steak is off the table. And all of those dietary restrictions is called kosher. Have you ever heard kosher before? That's just a word that says, like, the Jews can eat it, according to the law. Um, but there was other things, like the, the, in the temple, the Jewish temple, there was the Gentile court, which was the outer court, and the Gentiles couldn't go into the inner court, and there was circumcision, and a number of different things that, that created the separation. But really, it was meant and designed to set them apart, because 
they were supposed to be set apart and different, but they were meant to be a blessing to the nations. That's what they were supposed to be. They were supposed to go with God's love and, and reveal God's love to the nations. A Bible commentator, theologian, F.F. F. Bruce, puts it this way, how Israel got it wrong. Israel twisted the doctrine of election into favoritism, becoming filled with racial pride and hatred. They were despised Gentile dogs and developed traditions to keep them apart. No Jew would go into the house of a Gentile. So these Christian leaders who are Jews, they're circumcised, have a bias, right? They have a bias against the Gentiles, and Peter had bias as well. Bias is these preconceived ideas about another people or group of people. That's not true. It reduces people to labels and cliches and tweets, and, and prejudice just means that you're prejudging somebody. And it makes whoever's doing that feel superior to the other. So let me give you some examples of bias and prejudice. Uh, one clear example is the Padres are clearly superior to the Dodgers, right? Uh, some would think that the Chargers are better than the 49ers. Could it happen? No, they left us, so we, no one likes them anymore. How about this one? Uh, North Park is better than Alpine. <laughs> Josh, or Josh, Scott gave me that joke so I can give it. <laughs> it's personal. Uh, how about this one? Barbecue is better than salad. Okay, we can all agree on that. Maybe some other people don't agree. Or how about this one? My parenting style is better than your parenting. Oof, that can get personal. Or how about this? Their name or their hair or their body or their clothes is weird. Or how about this? They're too loud or they're too quiet or they're too this or they're too that. You see, all of us have this bias, this, these preconceived ideas that, that, that stereotype people into cliches and into these ideas that aren't true. Here's the question. Are you aware of your, your bias towards whoever those people are? We all have it based on the way that we are raised and our families and the if, you know, faith backgrounds or not faith backgrounds. Also, we're shaped today by the things that we consume, the media, the news, all those things are forming and shaping how we view other people. Is it possible that today God wants all of us, young and old, to take a step back and to just examine our bias and to allow God to, to transform and to change the bias that we may have towards whoever those people are in order for us to have a greater love for those people, to be able to reach those people with God's love in a, in a more authentic and beautiful kind of way. I believe God wants to do that for us. The circumcised main concern was this. The circumcised, not circumcised Jews, circumcised Christians' main concern was this. How can you share intimate space, Peter, with the Gentiles? How can you go into their home and eat? You can't be friends with them. You can't go into their home. You can't learn from them. You can't include them into the church. The Gentiles were a marginalized people in the early church. Marginalization is just simply people who feel like they're pushed off to the margin from the center. You don't feel like you can be included or equal into the main core space. And what was happening and what Peter was doing was alarming, it was disturbing, it was not good news to these early Christians in Jerusalem. John Stott, Bible commentator and theologian, he says this, 
It took four successive hammer blows. So imagine God just kind of taking out the hammer of divine revelation, God's revelation, before, Pe- before Peter's racial and religious prejudice was overcome. God just had to keep hammering away, chiseling away at Peter's bias and preconceived ideas. Number one, and these four ideas are gonna bring us through the scriptures for this morning. Number one, divine hammer blow number one is that God gives a divine vision to Peter. And it picks up in verse five. Peter says, he's saying this to the Christian Jewish leaders. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three more times, and then it was pulled up the sheet up to heaven again. Now, first, it is so crucial to understand God is doing this. This is God's vision. This is God's voice. This is God initiating this into Peter and Peter into the the church leaders. It is, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, Peter would be chilling in Joppa on the Tanner's house, praying and just doing his own thing, keeping separated from the Gentiles. God is initiating this. The unclean animals now being clean in the vision represent the Gentiles who previously were unclean now being clean and being able to be included into the church. It is hard for people who previously saw others as unclean to now see them as clean. It's really hard for us to do this. Um, There is a Christian sociologist who wrote a book called Unclean, and he goes through the book, and I'm going to walk us through it. He starts with the psychology of disgust. He, his opening illustration is, imagine um, you have a Dixie cup, and you spit into the Dixie cup. Hold on a second. Was that gross? <laughs> he says, imagine you then take your own spit and you drink it. Would that be Gross. It's empty. I didn't actually spit it. <laughs> That's too gross. But the, what he helps, he wants to help us understand is that we have a psychological disgust with certain things. It's not gross. It was in my mouth five seconds ago, and it's the same thing that's in my mouth. It's, there's nothing gross about it, is it? Really? It's just in our head. And he gives a number of different examples from food all over the world and just the psychology of disgust. Then he moves to social disgust and how we can be disgusted by certain social groups. So political affiliation is that side or that side. Red or blue, we can be disgusted by them. Certain people groups, uh, nations, colors of skin, we can have this disgust towards, uh, towards different racial groups. Rich people, maybe you're disgusted by rich people. Man, if they, you know, or poor people, man, what about them? Or the, our migrants, we can have this social disgust towards certain people. And then he moves to religious disgust and how the the disgust that we can have towards certain kinds of sin. And he identifies that often the most disgusting, visceral reaction Christians often have religiously is uh, sexual sin. 
If we think about all the different kinds of sexual sin, it's like, man, all of us get nailed with that one. We all have brokenness in the area of sexual sin. And, and, and then he begins to ask the question when it comes to religion and disgust, what was Jesus the most disgusted at? If you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just take a step back. Say, what did Jesus have the most anger towards? And the, word is it, the words are in there. What co- words of condemnation and disgust did Jesus actually say? What sin was it against? I think it's against hypocrisy and pride is the thing that disgusted Jesus. And then you see like these prostitutes and these people caught in adultery and Jesus offers compassion and grace and mercy into them. And, and so the question is, are we disgusted by what Jesus is disgusted by? And are we disgusted? Not discuss, and then are we disgusted by things that Jesus are really not disgusted by? And how does Jesus want to reform and reshape how we, how we view each other's brokenness? Let's get real. God doesn't love us Christians any more than them, does he? No, he doesn't. They are no less worthy of God's love and forgiveness and reconciliation than we are. The power of the gospel The good news of Jesus levels all human beings. We no longer get to compare our sins with their sins. You know what, I kind of like my sins, so it's really not that bad, but your sin's awful, and so God never could forgive you, and that's just disgusting. It's like, no, 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 that's a hypocritical Pharisee game. The power of the gospel levels it all and says we all are in need of God's grace and forgiveness and mercy, and when when that truth enters our heart, it, it levels a playing field and we have a new kind of compassion and love for, for others. And so God, God's vision opened Peter's heart and maybe God wants to open up your heart for, who, for the marginalized people or who may be disgusting to you and maybe they're not that disgusting. All right, hammer blow number two, you ready? Uh, God gives a, a divine command to Peter. Verse 11, so the sheet goes up and then right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered into the man, that's Cornelius's house. So Peter is telling these Jewish, these Christian Jewish leaders, God told me to go and I just went. I didn't want to go into the house. If you read chapter 10, Peter did not want to go. But because God told him to go, he goes into the house. Peter obeyed God. He didn't wait. You want to know a good indicator of faith? Do you ever wonder, do I have faith? I don't know. How do I know? One indicator of faith is that when God speaks to you, you're like, all right, God, let's do this. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put it into practice. It's like, oh, maybe when I'm older, <laughs> maybe when I have kids, or you know, then I'll start to really get serious about you, God. But right now, I'm like, that's not faith. Faith says, God, yeah, right now, you want me to do this. This is not information for us today, church. God wants us to consider this command that he gives to Peter and this command he gives to us to begin to change the way that we interact with people and talk to people and see people. God wants us to actually put this into practice. The third hammer blow of Peter's um, superiority is a divine preparation. Peter is now in Cornelius' house and Cornelius begins to speak. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, 
Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all of your household, so rad, all of your household will be saved. You see, God is working from both ends. God is giving a vision to Peter, and he's speaking to Cornelius through an angel, and, and it is amazing. Up to this point, Cornelius is not saved, is he? No. Cornelius has not received the Holy Spirit, has he? No. But he is hearing from an angel. God is speaking to Cornelius before any of those things happen. Is it possible? Just question. Is it possible God speaks to non-Christians? Is it possible that God can actually be working in all cultures and peoples and nations and tribes before we even get there? Is it possible that the different people groups and groups around San Diego, that God is moving in their heart through general revelation? Let me give you an example of how I've worked this out. I, most of my neighbors are not Christians, but I love them. We have great friendships and relationships and my kids are friends with their kids and all this stuff. And a number, the dads are just amazing dads. Like they're coaches for their kids and they provide for their families and they love their wives and they're just great dads and they're not following Jesus. And I'm like, y'all are great dads. And that's godly. That's a godly thing. And that's just one way that I see God working in people that aren't non-Christians and I speak that into their life and affirm them as, as made in the image of God and these kinds of things. As we cross cultures, we can look for how God is moving in people's lives and affirm that and call that out and bless that in people. Um, divine hammer blow number four. You ready? Uh, God has a divine action. God moves powerfully to just completely destroy the ra racial tension, racial bias. Verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them and as, as he came on us at the beginning. When was that? Acts chapter 2 of Pentecost, right? Then I remember what the Lord had said to John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave to us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? You see, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes and fills up Cornelius and his entire household, just like God did with the Jews in Acts chapter 2. This is, uh, this is the Gentile Pentecost, it actually is. That's what commentators call it. It's this beautiful new movement of God within the different nations and people groups. They're actually Italians, which is kind of cool. Uh, it, and it's this inclusion, not just of Italians, but all people groups and nations. Grace Church San Diego has five core values. If you've been to our membership weekend, you probably have them memorized, don't you? No, you don't. Let me tell you one of them. One of them is gospel community. And the way that we define gospel community is we are a multi-ethnic family formed by the good news that Jesus has, number one, reconciled us to God, and then number two, reconciled us to one another. You see, as God is demolishing the superiority in Peter's heart towards the Gentiles, God then is using Peter to advocate for the inclusion of the marginalized and the people that don't, that for years, for hundreds and thousands of years, felt like they didn't belong. Now, I want to begin to journey through five steps of how God did this in Peter and how he wants to do it inside of us. I want to get practical. So step number one is we need to be open for God to teach us something new. If there is anyone who had the right to say, I know how church is done, I know how this thing goes, is Peter. Jesus said, you are the rock. 
and I'm going to build my church on you. He was given the keys to the kingdom. He started the church in Acts chapter 2. Peter was the one going around confirming if the church was legit or not after that. But guess what? Peter would have never gone into Cornelius' house if it wasn't for God that day. Let me tell you, Peter still had more to learn, didn't he? Right? I'm passionate about this, right? Peter had more to learn with all that Peter had. He still had more to learn from God. And I believe that the same can be true for us, right? This is, I'm not trying to get you to, to go to social science or go to politics, God, God help us all. No, we have more to learn from God and God's word. And when you begin to put on these lenses and read the scriptures through this lens of multi-ethnicity and, and, and race and reconciliation, you will see things. Mark my words. You will see things in scripture that you have not seen before. It's in there. It's all over the scriptures. Number two, we need to identify personal barriers to relationships. In my notes, I put with the disgusting. We need to identify what those barriers are, those personal barriers. It was hard for Peter to go in there and to eat that food. I don't know why. The house smelled like bacon. There was like rare steak. They had crab and pancetta, whatever they eat in Italian households. It's like, come on, Peter, it's really not that bad. Just be open to it. Um, but for Peter, it was, it was a culture shock. It was disorienting. It was disgusting for him. And he needed to let God stretch his heart. He needed to let God stretch open his heart. Often, when you cross cultures, it's not wrong. It's not weird. It's just different. It's just different. We need to be open to different. We need to stop making assumptions about people. Assumptions break down relationships. It's a barrier to building relationships. Another thing I just think is cool, don't be afraid of guilt by association. What I mean by that is if you cross into those people's worlds, whoever those people are, that maybe other people will judge you and they're like, they're disgusting. Why would you even go hang out with them in their world, in their turf, in their space? You know, Jesus was accused of being guilty by his association. He was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of sinners. Now, the first two weren't true, but the third one was absolutely true. Jesus didn't care what you thought of him. He's gonna go hang out with those people in their turf and their space, and he's gonna love them, and if you have any questions, come talk to him. <laughs> He'll explain it. Don't be afraid of, your, of hanging out with those people and what other people are gonna judge or criticize you on. Now, what do we do when we see these barriers, these biases, these revealed weaknesses? Last week, Josh just crushed this point. We need to look to the gospel. He said, we don't have a racism problem. We have a memory problem. Remember that? And what he meant by that is that we often forget the mercy and the grace that God has had for us, especially the longer you walk with Jesus, this can happen. We forget that we were once enemies to God and that we, our sin was, is disgusting to God. And, and what has God done? He has, he has, in his grace and his mercy and his love, come after us and died for us and forgiven us. And, and when the, that truth just gets into your bones, you can't help but offer compassion and forgiveness and patience towards those people that just are not walking with God or, they're just, or they are walking with God just in a different kind of way. All right, so identify personal barriers, cool? Step number three. Hold on. Yep. Enter into a relationship with different kinds of people. 
Peter needed to sit down and eat and meet the family and all of them. And then he came to realize, you know what? Gentiles are pretty cool. I would have never thought that they were that cool. Peter had to have just an awakening that, you know what? These different nations and peoples and cultures, God is working and moving in them in ways that I've never seen. And it's pretty cool. Okay. But also, on the other hand, that different peoples and tribes have been conditioned by the families and the environments they grew up in and the content they're consuming right now and that forms and shapes them. So, so entering into relationship with progressives and conservatives, for some of you, can be very difficult. For to enter into relationship with an atheist or a Muslim or a Buddhist or people from Africa or Latin America or Asia or the Middle East can be challenging. Last four years in seminary, I've been learning how to enter into relationship and hear the stories of sexual minorities. I'm doing work and research and and writing around this. And we all need help. We need God's help in how to do this well. I love how Paul enters into relationships with different kinds of people. He captures it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, though I am free, I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew. Um, to win the Jews, to those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but under, I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become like the weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. You see, Paul recognizes culture. Paul recognizes ethnicity, right? He doesn't just treat all people the same. And Christians, we need to identify culture and ethnicity. We need to uh, recognize those things and not just dismiss it, but not only that. God, the gospel, demands us to do the work. God calls us to change, to, under, to humble ourselves and to put ourselves in their, their world and in their space to understand their language and their vernacular and their culture and their ways so that we can be a blessing and speak the gospel in their language. Did you know Paul shaved his head to be able to reach certain people groups? Did you know that Timothy was circumcised by Paul? It's in there, to be able to reach the Jews. He didn't have to do that. And in no way does Paul ever change the gospel to reach cultures. It is, we're not changing the gospel or the heart of the scriptures or God. However, we do change uh, the way that we approach people so that we can serve and get to know and know the stories of, of people. And so um, how do we do that? Rather than assuming things, ask open-ended questions. When you sit down around a table and a meal and get to know people, um, learn their story. One thing I learned from marriage, if my wife is sharing something with me, and I don't get it, it's still true for her. I've learned this. I had to go to counseling and, all, and read books. But if she is saying it, I'm like, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And I'm going to give you five reasons why you're wrong. That is not an appropriate response. If it is true for her, it is true according to her. And I need to just hear it and receive it and, and not, def- not 
say it's wrong, but make space for the thing that she is sharing with me. And, and similar, when you share, sit around the table and someone shares something, don't just shut it down. Let me tell you five reasons you're wrong. That just won't work. Another thing, get to know their history. Not just their story, but their history. There has been hurt and pain from in generations and in past generations. And the appropriate way to deal with hurt and pain is to acknowledge the pain and the hurt and to lament the pain and the hurt so that we can truly be reconciled and not just brush things under the rug. And the church and nations and people groups and individuals have deeply hurt one another. And that's just true. Reconciliation demands that we just we are honest about the past and we engage and we are and we work towards humanizing one another without just rejecting the story and the history. You can't advocate without relationships and love. I love my neighbors, I truly do. And many of them are not followers of Jesus. But guess what? I love them whether they follow Jesus or not. There's not like a condition. You have to become a Christian before I love you, like to the next level. No, they have the freedom that God has given them to choose God or not, and I will choose to love them regardless. I love my house church. It is a multi-ethnic, multicultural group of Republicans and Democrats. I'm not kidding you. And all different ethnicities, and it gets messy. <laughs> but we love each other, and it is a, I love it. And it is a powerful witness of what the gospel can do. The fourth thing is we need to advocate for, for the belonging of the outsider and the marginalized. Once we know them and we love them, we begin to advocate for their belonging in the church and that we are better with them here, that they belong here. Peter had these barriers that fell through a group of Italian, uh, an Italian household, and now Peter is advocating to the church uh, on behalf of these Gentiles. As an insider, if you've been coming to Grace for a little while, guess what? You're an insider. <laughs> you belong here. And you get the awesome responsibility to advocate for those that feel like outsiders, that feel like they've been hurt, that feel like they don't belong. You can say, no, you belong here. And if someone comes to your face and criticizes you like the Christian circumcised people did to Peter, you can lovingly, kindly share your story and, the God, and God of why they belong here. And we can advocate for those people that they belong here, right? We can do that for each other. I'm gonna skip a bunch um, and go to this because I've got a few minutes. So Peter uses his influence to demolish bias against these Christian leaders. But if you fast forward to Galatians chapter two, Josh talked about this last week, there's another moment where Peter, the bias comes back and he refuses to go and eat with Gentiles. And he actually, other Christians follow him and he begins to build the walls back up. And so here's the point. What, how will you use your influence here at Grace? And I'm just talking about here. How will you use your influence? Will it be taking the hammer and helping to break down bias and prejudice and superiority here? Or will you be like Peter in Galatians 2 where you're like, no, I'm not gonna hang out with them and then others follow you, and you just begin to build the walls back up. We need to do the better one. Let's move on. <laughs> we need to tell the story of God's faithfulness, uh, inclusion. That's the final point. We need to tell the story of God's inclusion. This is what happens. Peter tells the story, 
and then the people's lives change. It is so beautiful. Check it out in verse, our final verse, verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, then even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see, these Christian, Jewish, circumcised leaders, their minds are just like, all right, we got nothing left to say. Peter, if this is the story, if this is what God has done, they radically change. They're like, all right, let's go eat lobster. <laughs> let's go eat rare. Like, they're like, these people belong, and they no longer need to be marginalized and outside. They can be fully included into what God is doing, this complete change because of the story of what God did. A multi-ethnic, multicultural church reconciled by God is a powerful witness to the world. But it takes us. It, takes, it truly takes us because this is hard to do. We don't ignore bias, but rather we let God transform the things that disgust us about other people. We don't ignore the past and the pain, but rather we let God transform, uh, acknowledge and lament and heal those things from the past. It is not an us versus them with this chasm between our people and your people. No, we, we build bridges towards becoming cross-cultural witnesses to one another. We are not a melting pot. Josh talked about this last week. But rather, we are a beautiful community of unity and diversity where we celebrate who God is in you and who God is in me. We are not ashamed of our ethnicity, but rather... We love our gifts and our strengths and our personalities and our culture and our, the way that God has made us ethnically and we can celebrate and embrace those things. Those things matter. It is not a mistake. It is not to be ignored. We, are, we don't wanna just do tolerance. That's the world's ethic. Hey, thanks for tolerating me. <laughs> you want to know what tolerance is? We're going to all be in the same room and we're going to just tolerate each other. Oh, thanks for tolerating me. That's great. No, we go so much beyond that where we, we love each other, we brace each other, we make room in our hearts for one another. We're not just about ratios and numbers. We need a certain amount of colored people's skin in here and, and, and cultures. That is not what we're trying to do at all. We are trying to be motivated by the love of God to honor the differences, to make room like God has done for us. We're not colorblind. We celebrate and cherish the differences. Two more. We're not politically correct. We're not motivated by fear. No. We're motivated by the love of God for all people. We're not going to pretend that we're the same. We're not isolated. But we gladly press forward to, be, to create a multi-ethnic spiritual family that God has, that God wants today and is our future in heaven. And so this is, amen, Thank you. amen. This is what the gospel can do, and I hope and pray, and I know that God is moving us towards this, and when God does this, we will be a powerful witness to the world that just doesn't know how to do it. And so as we close in prayer and go into worship, ask God, say, God, what do I need to learn from Peter? God, what are my, the barriers I have towards those people? God, the people that I think are disgusting, help change that in me. Help give me love for those people. Help me advocate here at Grace Church. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for your love that's just so much bigger than ours. Thank you, God, for your, your grace and your compassion for us, God, and that you have for others. 
God, thank you for your patience that you've had with us and the patience you have for other people who don't know you, but God, your heart for people is amazing and it stretches us and it's overwhelming. God, help us not to run from that, but help us to enter in. God, for those that just need that lens to read scripture and to see you, God, in this new way in the Bible, God, give that lens to our church and to our people. God, I, I ask that, that we would want nothing more, nothing less than a gospel community here at Grace Church. Uh, not to be politically correct or be cool or whatever, but this is your heart for the people that you have made and that you love. Help us to do that. Help us to press into that. Anyone here that is not a follower of Jesus, you haven't believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you haven't put your faith in him to forgive you, and you're ready, like, I want to become a Christian. You can tell God in your own heart, God, thank you for loving me. I confess I'm broken, I'm I'm sinful. Jesus, I believe you've gone on the cross for me. It's sufficient to pay the price for all of my sin and brokenness. God, heal me and forgive me and cleanse me. Teach me to love you, God, with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. For anyone that prayed that, we celebrate what God's doing in your life. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.